This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Now we're in the silk department. Let's pay tribute to one of your favourites and one who did your career no harm whatsoever, Lucia Valentina. A daughter of Savabile, she had five runs in New Zealand and she fell in one of them. She certainly did. I remember it very well. I think it was around January. I just got to Randwick to watch her. Um, of course, their races are a little bit early and it was uh, just before the first in Sydney. And I seen the colours and I seen the jockey rolling. She didn't just fall. She she rolled for – it looked like for an eternity. Wow. So I just straight away said in my head, well, she won't be coming. And um, I think she, she come out of it pretty much unscathed and incredibly raced again the next week. I'm, I'm sure she didn't win, but she, she ran quite well. And, and then she come over and went, I recall it arriving. Um, nothing flash to look at. She was a pretty lighter frame, not a very big filly. Probably remind me a bit of Flitter, if anything. Did she? Yeah. And, and, um, but it was pretty apparent straight away that she had a terrific turn of foot. Um, I, I ran her in the Silver Shadow. Um, I think it was the Silver Shadow. Mm-hmm. A- and she ran um, – no, it wasn't – sorry, it wasn't – it was the 1,400-metre three-year-old fillies race. And stable mate Thump won the race, but she came from near last and, and ran third. And Hugh Bowman rode that day. He said, this is our Oaks filly. Mm-hmm. And um, – she started to sh- she and progressed through to the the vinery where she was very dominant from from near last to win the vinery and then ran in a pretty good um, Oaks didn't have a great deal of luck but and um, finished third. Yeah, to Rising Romance and Zanbar were the two that beat her home in that Oaks. After that, you turned her out. She came back to win the Tramway first up. She was unplaced in the George Main. She won the Turnbull Group 1, third in the Caulfield Cup, and uh, you must have been tickle pink with that one. Yeah, um, she had a great preparation. You know, she was very dominant when she won the uh, tramway, um, and a Turnbull Stakes win was a really strong, good win. Uh, she didn't have a great deal of luck in the Caulfield Cup either. She was just from a gate. She was just caught a little wide. She was still very fast finishing. It was enough to suggest that, She'd be she'd be competitive in a Melbourne Cup, but the, the two mile found her out, and it was run at a brutal pace that year. But um, I mean, she's certainly a, a top class mare. Yeah, and the Melbourne Cup just way too far for her. It was, and, and I said it ran at that real brutal pace. It really it found her out, but she she was very good at um, around that two thousand meter mark, as mm. indicated when she came back the season after. Yeah. She didn't win in five runs in her next prep, uh, but she did run two or three pretty good races by the same token. But you decided to give her a quick little spell, and next time back in the spring of 2015, she went okay first four runs back without winning. So you decided to drop her in grade a little bit. You found a lovely Group 2 race at Flemington called the Matriarch Stakes. I think you were looking for a confidence booster, weren't you? Yeah, for both horse and trainer. She was having one of those preparations. I think she probably had a bit of a hangover from that long prep with that testing Melbourne Cup. Mm. As you know, sometimes that autumn comes around very quickly and she just never really recaptured that that brilliance that she showed that spring at that time. And then um, 
by the following spring when we were in Melbourne, she, we ran her in a Caulfield Cup. She drew wide. She was back. She worked home okay without ever ever threatening. So we decided to keep her fresh and drop her back to the matriarch. She carried 58 or whatever weight she had. Yeah. And um, she had the service of D Oliver for the first time. And mm. and she sailed down the outside for a very strong win and, and um, certainly got a, got her career back on track. Mm. You took her to Hong Kong after that? Yeah, she got an invite to Hong Kong and we thought, well, you know, discussed it with the owners. Um the right distance for her. Um, certainly a good opportunity for all of us. So we, we decided to take and I think in some ways that little trip away like that, it, it really she really thrived on it. She got over there. I think she was a, she was close to she was fifty to one off her in the in the race. She was the outsider of the field. She come from last and up the inside and ran fifth in the race. And I remember Ollie coming back and saying that would have won most group ones in Australia. It was a Japanese horse, a high class it was a really high class race, as the, mm. as that race often is in Hong Kong. And um, from there, when we brought her home, we just kept her in light work. And after just a short let up, and and she ran a nice fourth or fifth in the Coolmore Classic. Yeah, it was a year where Winks was starting to show her dominance. Mm. Um, so my thoughts all along, we'd have to go to a Queen Elizabeth, but I, but we're not sure how we were going to beat Winks at the time, and. Um, thought we'd try something different and just keep her real fresh. She went mm. four weeks into the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. If you remember, Winks won the Doncaster and they decided against running her, thankfully, <laughs> in, the, in the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. And um, the rain came, little things come that just it just all worked out for Matura on the day. You know, the race set up nicely and, and she showed that devastating turn of foot she's got when things are all right and, she would, have, she would have taken a bit of beating, no matter who was in the race. Now, that was the year the Queen Elizabeth went to $4 million. <laughs> it was a great thrill. It was, you know, that prize money ejection um, in New South Wales racing has been tremendous and, and um, you know, it was certainly a huge thrill for, for all, all concerned in the stable. It's one of those days. We had a number of runners in the provincial championship on the day. I remember it was a pretty big day. I think we had 13 runners or so on the day. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and to win, to win the feature race was um, a great thrill. Mm. She only had three more runs in the spring of that year. She ran third in the Underwood, failed in the Cox Plate, and you pulled the pin. You, yeah, she went and missed. She yeah. went and missed Tabby. She had a little bit of uh, an issue with the sesamoid uh, and the ligament attached to the sesamoid in after the Cox Plate. Yep. And um, we sent her straight to the breeding barn. Now, she was owned by a man called Luke Patania. Uh, he's of Italian origin, but he's lived in New Zealand most of his life, hasn't he? Yeah, wonderful man. Uh, you see his colours regularly, both here and in New Zealand, uh, tr- with tremendous success. And a lot of that comes down to his, his bloodstock agent, Bruce Perry. He does a wonderful job. He's, um, his ability to source fillies um, for minimal type of money and obscure types of pedigrees too. So he, he's... They're a wonderful team, and I'm very fortunate to be associated with them. I get some wonderful opportunities from both. Mm. Lur Remain, what an old marvel. He's now a six-year-old, 34 starts, seven wins, 16 placings, 4.1 million. And you described him to me once, Chris, and I was intrigued by your uh, by your description as an old-fashioned racehorse. Yeah, I don't think you see too many of these horses anymore that, them wait for age type of horses and or handicappers. You can run him 
you know, I've run him in a Galaxy and he ran credible. And I, I've never tried him at 2,000 metres, but I, I've got no doubt he, he'd run well. And, he, you know, he's two Group 1 wins at a mile. He's been narrowly beaten again at Group 1 level at that distance. He's won on uh, he's won weight for age Group 1, beating Chautauqua on heavy ground at Randwick over 1,300. So mm. he hasn't got too many faults. He's just one of them honest type of horses who you could just run in any type of race and he'll, he'll give you a sight. Mm. And no hiccups along the way? Well, he did have one big one. He um he, he had colic surgery. I've never seen a horse in so much distress. We're very fortunate that the surgery's right near our stables. He he come to track work um I think it's two springs ago. Mm-hmm. Uh early in the preparation and um yeah, just before we went to work him he started getting a bit agitated and we noticed then he was in quite a bit of discomfort and he had a he had a twist in his intestines. Thankfully, it was uh, rectified straight away on the table, and um, that put him out for for a period. When he resumed, um, well, the Galaxy was yesterday. He resumed, you know, basically 12 months ago. Now, but um, it was a little very concerning there for, especially even post surgery. Just hope that they come through all right, and, and he did. So, um, he's pretty tough. What about his run in the All-Stars Mile? Did the fact that he was declared an emergency and you really didn't know whether he was going to run or not, uh, did that impede your training regime in any way? It, it didn't really, but he did fill the firm track at his second up run at Caulfield. So it meant we were pretty kind to him for that first week to 10 days, mm. hoping we'd get in but knowing we weren't in. So it, it, probably, it probably did impede me a touch from that point of view that I was pretty kind to him. And it may have just told late in the rain run, mm. but again, he was so he was brave. He, he hit the front with three hundred to go, and was still there at the hundred. And even talking to Hugh Bowman after the race, he was on the lead. He said he wouldn't have been surprised another fifty metres if he got past her back. So he ran fourth, and yeah. so it, it was still a very good run. So he's ran fourth in an, in these two new races, the Everest and in a mm. and an All Star Mile, which again shows his versatility. I can hear the admiration in your voice. You really love him, don't you? I just—he's just a wonderful horse, and he's you know gelding. That's that's touch wood will stay with us for another season or two. Mm. And um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the Doncaster with him this year. You have a terrific association with Australian bloodstock syndicators and bloodstock agents who source horses from all over the world for clients. Now, by the time this podcast is on the air. You'll be on your way to Dubai with one of their horses, uh, Brave Smash, who's running in the Alquaz Sprint. You've only had him for three runs, including that great third in the new market. Hey, what sort of a horse is this Brave Smash at this elite level? Isn't he a ripper? He's a little beauty. He really is. Um, you know, of course, being one of Jamie Luke's, I've always watched him without having that real close knowledge of the horse. And But um, we're certainly wrapped it to have him in our stable and um, I trained him out of Melbourne for that period. He's uh, he's just, he's pretty bomb-proof. He's, um, he's, he's thrived since he's been in Dubai um, and looking forward to getting over there and seeing him on the next couple of days. But he's, uh, oh, look, there's a short price favourite in the race, but I think he'll give the race a real shake. He's going terrific. Australian Bloodstock gave you your first Newcastle Newmarket win recently when Princess Posh unleashed a big sprint to win in record time and followed up with a cracking good third in the Coolmore Classic. 
I imagine she'll be in the emancipation stakes, will she, over the carnival? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's she's a beauty. She comes from a bit of obscurity, really. She was a, a nice, nice filly early days, and she was never the soundest filly. And we thought we placed her okay. She was getting a few runs, but then the last twelve months, she's just taken off. And and mm. the more racing she has, the, the better she gets, and the more she likes it. She's been a real revelation over that last twelve months to win a couple of stakes races now, and now being placed at Group One level. So. Her um, future secured when she goes through the ring, so uh, she's been a really good result for the team. You have a lot of horses racing currently in those famous Australian bloodstock colours. How many of their horses do you have on the books? Oh, I must have over sixty. I'm very fortunate to be training for them. They're, they're wonderful, wonderful guys. I've known Jamie for for many years, and uh, Luke over the over these last ten or so years, he's but they've both been tremendous to me. Oh, I can't speak highly enough of them. They do a wonderful job. They let me train the horses. They're great at sourcing the horses, and you know they know their job, and and they let me do mine. It's, we work really well together, and um, I'm really honoured to be training for them. You also, you also have an association with Prime Thoroughbreds and its founder Joe O'Neill. Yeah, big Joe. We we go back a long way. He's uh, he's had a number of horses throughout the years and um, we've um, just got one into the provincial championship for him so that, that's that's a wonderful thrill and he'll have his, make his presence felt in the provincial championship final. You run one of the biggest stables in Australia and at last count you were responsible for about 120 horses so you need a large and very well organised staff. Most mornings you've got up to a dozen track work riders. Yeah, no, it's a big operation but... Um, it's grown slowly, and and I think it, it hasn't been too daunting. I think if you you were just thrust in with if you doubled your size overnight or whatever. But I've been very fortunate to get great support from a wide variety of owner base, whether it be big studs or syndicators, like you've mentioned. So they come come from all all types. Um, our stable, and, and I'm very fortunate. I've got a really good core group of staff around me. That um, without them. It's you know it's well worn cliche. Yeah, the trainers, the name at the front, but the people behind you are just tremendous. And without them, it doesn't happen. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear this important commitment. Back in a moment. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esther Jarb, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pino, and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's yearling sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizelle. The 2019 English Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. 
Talking to Chris Lees, one of the most valued members of the team is Andrew Gibbons, who does a lot of your country and provincial riding. He recently topped 100 wins for the season, and he also reached that remarkable milestone of 1,000 career wins. I've never seen him ride better, Chris. He's in great form. No, he's a credit to himself, and I'm very proud of what he's achieved just in the last few years. He, um, yeah, it's fair to say it would be only five or ten years ago. He'd be lucky to ride 30 or 40 winners a season, and he, but he, yeah, he was a tireless worker um, with limited opportunity, and 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 throughout through his persistence and continued work work ethic around our stable, it, it evolved into better opportunity for him, and he's made the most of that. Um, I think before this season, his most wins were around mid sixties or so, mm. and he's already ridden a hundred winners for the season. And he's probably he's probably the number one rider in country New South Wales racing for mine at the moment, and um, mm. that's through confidence. And um, and he, he's riding terrific, and and I still think he's got many good years ahead of him. I remember your dad telling me once that he had a very simple theory regarding jockeys for his city runners. He said he put the jockey's premiership list in front of him as he sat down at the phone. He started at the top and worked his way down the list. I imagine you'd do something similar. Yeah, I, I, I think it's – look, I think with jockeys, you know, you, you've got to get the best available. You know, I've always said they, they all charge the same. Um, <laughs> and it, it's an expensive game and they just deserve to get the best opportunity. So, um, and, and look, different jockeys suit different horses. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think you've got to try and give yourself every opportunity of winning. It's what it's about. And it's, it's a difference of, uh, you know, a head here or there. Certainly you want to have the best available. I'm sure you've had opportunities to move the operation to the metropolitan area, but I don't think you've ever entertained the idea. It crossed my mind about five years ago, uh, an opportunity arose and but it, I think I just toyed with it in my own head without ever really taking it serious. serious. Um, and, I, and I think it's shown over years in, in various other states, you know, you, you don't have to be in the city. I think there's always that perception years ago um, that, you know, you, or it was probably Ramwick was where everyone wanted to train and then it spread out and Rose Hill started to, to have premiership winners. But uh, I, I think you can, our track here at Newcastle, I'd, put it up against any of the other training tracks in New South Wales and, mm. and probably put it first for mine. So we're very fortunate and, and the travel time's shortening all the time. So what it also does from our base, it gives us opportunity to race at various areas where horses are, are better suited. So it's not just about city racing, but if they've got to go to mm. Tarry, Port Macquarie, Scone, Musselbrook, you, you place them where they can win to get that return for owners. And um, I think Newcastle's the perfect, perfect base for that. Yep, and access to... Any number of barrier trials, you have them locally at Newcastle, they're on regularly at Wyong and Gosford. Uh, it's only a stone's throw for you. Yeah, we're, we're very central here at Newcastle. You know, you're, you're an hour plus just to, to nearly every, all them tracks you've mentioned. Mm. Graf, the Rose Hill track on Golden Slipper Day was a lot heavier than it may have appeared to those watching on Sky Racing. Uh, it was very – it was bottomless, I think is a good word. And Graf, you could tell watching the race, Chris, he couldn't pick his feet up in it. No, nah, we are in trouble not long after they left the barriers. He, he's still the most talented cult I've, I've trained, um, and I'm sure he'll bounce back from it. Yeah, it was unfortunate 
just seem flounder and not handle it like that. But um, yeah. you don't know how they're going to react until until you, until you try them. He has handled soft ground before, but it was a different different track altogether. And yeah. It took a bit out of him, but I'm sure he'll bounce back. I thought he had the new market won for a few strides at Flemington recently. He loomed up menacingly with William Pike on board. Just wilted slightly to run fourth to sunlight, beaten only 1.1, and isn't the form strong out of that race? Oh, she's a super filly, isn't she? Yeah, he just raced a, a little fierce without cover the whole way down the straight. But um, as I said, he's um, he's certainly going to bounce back and he's got some big wins ahead of him. A 120-horse stable is a massive job. You always seem calm to me, Chris, watching you at the races or the trials or wherever. Uh, you don't appear to be troubled by stress. Um, well, I suppose on the inside I could be sometimes. I'm pretty good. I think you've got to keep the level head, you know, regardless of the result that just happened. There's something about to happen down the track. So you've got to, you know, you can't get uh, – I think you've got to stay at a pretty even curl, especially in this game if you – you get two up or down, it, it certainly brings you back to the field. So I think it's the greatest leveller of any sport racing. And um, and it, you're not only that, you're running a big business and, and you're looking after millions of dollars worth of horses for people that um, mm. they need you. You need your undivided attention, not getting too worked up either way. So I, mm. I, I try and keep myself pretty level. People can be way too passionate on race day. You know, after... Pretty well every race you'll see somebody blowing up or giving somebody a spray. Uh, it's quite often very different when you go home and watch the video. It's it's the wrong time to be overly passionate, isn't it, straight after oh, the race? Very much so. And it's it's an old, another old cliche. You never make them type of decisions race day. You go home and you reassess things. Mm. It's very easy to, to be critical of a jockey. And, it's, and I'm not one to be too critical. It's a, it's a really tough game. Split-second decisions are made. And, um, you know, I think you've got to go home, reassess things and then make your decisions. But um, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment. And understandably, you know, it's a high-stakes game we're playing and some people handle things different. But I think you've got to be a little bit measured on race day. You're the proud father of three. You've got an 18-year-old Emerson, a 14-year-old Marshall and a 6-year-old Manning. Your wife, Christie's not a regular at the races, but I imagine she keeps an eye on the horses through Sky Racing. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, the office send her a list every Saturday, like we all get, of where our runners are throughout the country, and um, she close, keeps a close eye on the races, and she's looking forward to the trip to Dubai, I know that, so she's re yeah. ready to pack already. <laughs> and do you see any budding horse trainers amongst the three kids? Look, it's different upbringing, I suppose. I don't want to sound like an old man now, but, uh, you know, I grew up on the race course and uh, we're, we don't live on course now. And um, like you said, they've got a lot of options, kids, these days. So it's not mm. it's a game you certainly wouldn't push anyone into mm. because if you're not 100% in it, you'll um, you'll get eaten in this game. But uh, yeah, my daughter's got a passing interest now that she started uni. She does a lot of our um, social media and she's, she's very good at it and so she's got an interest in the boys I think it'll come in time but um, football's more important to them at the moment and rightly so <laughs> You still occupy the stables founded by your dad uh, you've had to acquire f quite a few more obviously around the place but those old stables are situated directly opposite 
the 200-metre mark at the Broadmeadow Racecourse. Is it any wonder racing's in your blood? I didn't have much choice, did I? Yeah, our family <laughs> home's there. I, I um, Afternoons, mates would come over, we'd play f- football, touch footy on, on the track. Probably wouldn't be allowed to do it these days, but that's where we played our footy. And um, To go to school, to high school, I walked through the betting ring which took me straight through to the to my high school, which is on the other side of the 850 metre start. So, mm. so I, it was just always around me. So it was it was pretty natural progression that I'd be there at some stage, and I, I don't know any different. Your dad was always a very good friend of the media, and you've certainly followed his example. Congratulations on all you've achieved, Chris. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much for taking time to join us on the podcast. Tabby, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And this podcast was produced by Supernova South. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esther Jarb, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pinot and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizelle. The 2019 English Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. <laughs>